Oh, hell, do you read me? Affirmative, Dave. I read you. What's up, everybody? You're listening to a brand new episode of the All Things Dave podcast, and I'm your host, Phantom Dark Dave. I got Andy back on the show, and we're talking about a really big horror movie today. Andy, what's up, man? Hey, what's up, Dave? I'm just living the dream. How about you? I, uh, I've i been awake for seven days, but that's okay. The record's 11. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, if anybody knows this movie as well, I was a deep cut because I pulled a line from the movie. I'm so proud of myself. But that's because I finally got to watch it again last night. And, dude, I don't think I've seen this movie for three or four years. How about you? Yeah, it had been probably at least a few years since I've seen it, maybe more. Um, you know, before this, t- watching it last week for this podcast. So, so yeah, I, man, I'm, I'm excited to dive in and, and talk about this one. It's such an iconic horror movie villain. Yeah, and this episode was supposed to come out last week, but I had to reschedule on you, and I was able to put out the Robin Williams one, so hopefully listeners got to check that out. But I felt kind of bad because I was ready to talk Freddy. You know, I had just had Neil on here not too long ago. We did our top five Freddy Krueger kills, and I was trying to use that as a segue because uh, you and I are trying to do you know anywhere from one to two horror movies a month with those deep dive reviews, and this will be our first one this month, and we'll try to get another one in there. But my goodness, man, Nightmare on Elm Street is a big one because for some people, it's their favorite horror movie and for the same people and others, it's their favorite horror franchise. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you can't argue that, you know, Freddy has such a widespread reach, you know, in media in general, just pop culture in general. He's just, like, very well known. I mean, even when I was a kid, like, kids that may not have necessarily been into scary movies, they knew who Freddy Krueger was, and they wanted to dress up like him. You know, even at Halloween, you had so many kids dressing up like Freddy Krueger. It was funny, you know, and but yeah, I mean, it just it just goes to show the widespread appeal that he had, or just maybe not appeal is not the right word, but just like everybody knew who he was. He's a household name, basically. Household name. Well, he was for me because I remember being a kid and seeing him pop up on the TV screen. And honestly, you know, you got your big three. You got Freddie, Jason, Michael Myers. I was never scared of Jason. I was never scared of Michael Myers. I actually thought Michael Myers was kind of cool as shit, but Freddie Cougar was literally scary for me. And if I'm being honest... I don't really have nightmares per se, but when I was a kid, I did have some nightmares of Freddy Krueger, and I remember my mom had to stay awake with me, and 
as ironic as it is, obviously because I knew this podcast was coming and I was doing the kill list and so I was studying, I literally had a Freddy Krueger nightmare a couple of weeks ago. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, it it sucked. It was quite disturbing. But luckily, I know you can appreciate this, I uh, woke up. So I survived my dream because I woke up to the sound of my cat throwing up. (laughs) Oh, well... This is good for Normally, right? <laughs> you'd be freaking out like, oh gosh, no. But I was just like, thank you so much. <laughs> Save <Yeah>. me. <laughs> but uh, no, man, I don't know what it is unless it's just the fact that with Jason and Michael Myers, there's a reality that you could escape. You know, like they're supernatural serial killers, yes, but everybody has to sleep. And it don't matter where you're at because Freddy's going to get you in your dreams. And. The aesthetic look of Freddy is terrifying, but that whole idea of you not being able to sleep because you might not wake up again was truly what scared me as a kid. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's kind of what set them apart. I mean, this came out in 84. It's like right in the heyday of those 80s slashers. You had uh, Jason Voorhees, you know, had had some movies come out. Um, You had a couple for Michael Myers at this point. But really, you know, I mean, Freddy just kind of splashed onto the scene, and he was a different kind of slasher because – yeah, like you said, he could uh, get you anywhere you're at, you know, like in your dreams, and uh, he was supernatural, and this had just had a very kind of different feel to it. It was something new for audiences, I feel like, at the time, and uh, yeah, I just can't imagine what people were thinking when they first, you know, saw this movie. You know, they didn't know who Freddy Krueger was, and all they knew was this movie called Nightmare on Elm Street, and it was literally about nightmares, and uh, such such a cool premise, such a cool, like, a story, you know, kind of to base your villain off of, like a way to make them even scarier to stand out from the crowd, the slasher crowd, so to speak. Yeah, and it's wild how Wes Craven kind of came up with the idea because he wrote and directed this film, and he was reading the paper about I think they called it the Chinese Death Syndrome. I may have that wrong, but people were essentially suffering from trauma of the war and dying in their sleep, and so he combines that with whenever he saw a bum outside of his window and this bum was wearing that red and green you know sweater and the dirty fedora and so he put two and two together and i gotta say man i'm really glad he did and i know the whole horror community is because the nightmare on elm street franchise is such a massive staple of horror just in general like we talk about how he's a pop culture figure and you know he later becomes tongue-in-cheek and everything but when it comes to this first film like this is a pretty scary movie and it's i've never met anybody who didn't like this movie i'll just say that oh yeah for sure i mean everybody yeah i mean even people that you know maybe they're not a huge fan but they you know everybody has to give give them credit for being the influence and also just like the impact that it's made on you know the horror movies well, and that's um, see, that's nothing new for Wes Craven because you know he came on the scene in the '70s, and with you know Last House on the Left and Hills Have Eyes, he kind of revitalized horror in the '70s. Like he took the uh, the basic horror movie, but took it to an extreme level, and then he did it again here in the '80s, and we both know he did it in the '90s with Scream. And so, because of all the success he's had, like Wes Craven is one of the just most popular horror figures, you know, like horror directors of all time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, Wes Craven, he, he's he's great at what he does. And like you said, he, like in the 70s, he kind of like made his mark on the exploitation 
uh, genre, and then in the '80s, the slasher, and the '90s, even this this you know revive. He basically like revived the slasher genre in the '90s, which is totally awesome. It is, man. And let's talk about some of the behind the scenes stuff. You know, I always like to talk about the budget and the box office results, and it's crazy because this movie had. Almost a two million dollar budget. It was about a million eight hundred thousand, but it destroyed the box office, which bringing in almost twenty six million dollars, and that's kind of unheard of because this property, this is New Line Cinema. They were not a household name yet, but because of the success of this, they became known as you know the house that Freddie built, which is really cool. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, the the Nightmare on Elm Street has saved New Line Cinema, and and. Gave him a fresh start, and uh, so, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I wonder. You know, this move, this first movie, you know, it, it kicks off this franchise, and like, did they were they thinking of any kind of? They, I mean, I'm sure when they were making this, they weren't thinking about sequels or anything like that. They were just making this as a, a scary movie. But it's just interesting, like, when you get the right combination of things to come together, whether it's the actors. Uh, the the story ideas the the look the feel of the movie everything comes together to make make this uh, you know this movie is what it is and so yeah it's 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 really cool um, I like to separate that a lot too like when I rewatched this movie I was saying to myself I'm gonna pretend that the other movies don't exist how does this work as a standalone horror movie and it's pretty crazy because obviously we'll get into spoiler stuff here soon we talk about the ending and how kind of ambiguous it is but they definitely left the door open for sequel ideas but that had to be because that going along they realized that they had something here that really worked and it's really cool because we'll talk about the cast and crew but there was a lot of people who you didn't really know uh, with the exception of one, I would say that I knew. But before we get to that, let's go ahead and talk about a couple other things. We'll talk about producers, man. So there's a lot of people involved in production of this movie. There was five different people, and I didn't want to write down everybody's name and everybody's contributions. We could pretty much say thank you, uh, Robert Shea, right? He, he did the most and has stuck around for pretty much the whole franchise. But I got to say, you know, it was funny to read that they also had produced some X-rated films. I'm like, okay. Oh yeah, because I I heard that Wes Craven. That's kind of what he was doing before. Well, like, yeah, he had a different name that he went under, but um, <laughs> I think it was like Abe Snake or, or some weird shit. But it was kind of <laughs> <Very, laughs> right. <laughs> very but, appropriate. Uh, yeah, right. We have uh, director of photography. You know, we have Jacques Hayekin, and um, I don't know if you'd recognize the name, but it's kind of cool because he did work on Galaxy of Terror. He went on to do uh, the photography for Nightmare on Elm Street 2. He did The Hidden, which I know you and I both like. You brought that to the table. But he did some more stuff with Wes Craven. He did Shocker, which is really cool. And then he went on and did uh, a non-Wes Craven film, but one that feels very Wes Craven, and that's Wishmaster. And that's because, hey, Robert England again. But pretty cool to have all those on your resume. Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely making his mark in the in the horror genre there. What do you think of the music for this movie? Yeah, the score is really good. It's definitely one of the more memorable parts of the movie. Um, it, it just sounds like, you know, it, it's to me it's like right up there with like the Halloween theme song. Like it's just totally memorable. When you start playing it, you kind of know where it comes from. And and it's funny, like the first time that I heard it was actually on a on the radio of all places. What? Um, it was. The DJ Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince song, Nightmare on My Street. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I first heard the tune. 
and you know and it comes directly from the movie you know their melody in that song and so that so that was that was basically my introduction to all things freddie really <laughs> was that that's, song that's pretty cool i i can't say the same but i do remember the first time like i had had a lot of experiences with watching this on tv as a kid because either my parents or family members owned it on vhs or they had cable tv and so it would just be on when i'd be walking through the room but there are some scenes that i'd kind of hide behind the couch and watch and they terrified me and that music stuck with me too like anybody hears this intro they know what i'm talking about but the composer charles bernstein man he did a lot of stuff so he did the music for like the entity and cujo a movie we both love april fool's day uh he did one you recently watched deadly friend um he did rumpelstiltskin and the modern classic, Sharktopus versus Werewolf. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah well, you can't forget that. <laughs> I bet but yeah, you no, April twice. Yeah, you mentioned April Fool's Day, and it does have such a great score to it. So, yeah, I, I can definitely see the, the resemblances. But, you know, he's got a definite style to it, that it of his own. Yeah, dude. And the editing is pretty cool, too. You got a couple of editors on this one. You had Patrick McMahon, which he worked on a movie we loved as kids, Little Monsters. But he also did some Stephen King work. You know, he did The Stand, the miniseries. He did The Shining miniseries. He worked on Desperation, Bag of Bones. But he also did like five episodes of Masters of Horror. So that's pretty cool. And then you had Rick Shane who worked on a few things. like They're mostly thrillers. He did Eyes of a Stranger, Dead of Winter. He did some comedies. He did Lover Boy, Dutch, Theodore Rex. But a really cool sci-fi horror movie, he edited Pitch Black. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And, uh, man, we got an all-star cast that we're working with who have gone on to do some really, really great things. And uh, I don't know. I'm just pretty excited to jump into it. So you want to play the trailer and then uh, review this movie? Yeah, let's go for it. Here it goes. Trailer, 1984, A Nightmare in Elm Street. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? We just see cuts happen. What did that happen? I don't know. There's a coroner got to say in the jaw and puking since he saw it. You're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who will visit next. Nancy, there's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall She's the only one who can stop it If she fails I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy No one will survive Right, Andy. So, as we know, you know, a group of friends are tormented by the spirit of a serial killer in their dreams, only to realize that if they die there, they die in real life. And I remember as a kid, I thought that was the, one of the most terrifying things, where I didn't want to fall asleep because I was afraid if something happened to me in my dreams, it happened in real life. And I gotta say, a lot of movies have kind of pulled that plug too. 
Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, you go to sleep, you know, to get rest or whatever. And and, and in these movies, you really can't get any rest. You're after having to stay awake on for days on end. And uh, so there's really no, like, relief from the horror, you know. <laughs> so it's yeah, kind of interesting, yeah. Well, let's talk about Tina. You know, we kind of open up with her. We're led to believe she's going to be our final girl in this movie. You know, she has a nightmare, and she's being chased and tormented by somebody. We don't know who it is. We kind of get small glimpses of them, but she wakes up to find that her nightgown is ripped, and it looks like it has been ripped by claws. And so what did you think of this opening? Yeah, no, it's really good. Uh, it's, it's it's a good uh, introduction to our, you know, not our main character, but one of our characters <laughs> Because, you know, whenever it starts off, she's like in a dream, you know. And uh, so I was I, I was kind of trying to put myself in like audiences shoes that were seeing this for the first time. Like, what is happening? Because it just starts right off. She's in a dream, you know. And, uh, you know, something's not quite right because you're like sheep or something. And yeah. I didn't know what was going on with the sheep. I think it was like counting sheep, maybe something like that. Mm. But that was, it was kind of cool. And just the set design of the dreamscape or whatever is really cool. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a great introduction. It just puts you right into that, the, uh, oh, like dream logic, you know, almost like, from, you know, you know, from the start, this movie's going to like be all over the place, you know, with this intro. I, I really like it. Yeah, and it follows up with her going to school and we get to meet kind of the gang of friends that we're going to spend a lot of time with. And it seems kind of apparent that everybody is having nightmares and that Freddy Cougar is a part of them. Yeah, it's interesting. They have this shared dream, and uh, so it, it lets everybody know that there's something going on and that everybody's experiencing it. What do you think of this group of friends that we have? Like, we've kind of met Tina, and like I said, we, we think she's going to be our final girl. She seems to have a good head on her shoulders. We got her boyfriend, Rod, who it isn't made very clear that he's her boyfriend, but he seems extremely comfortable around them. Uh, but he also looks like a greaser out of the 50s. That felt kind of weird, didn't it? Oh, yeah, he had definitely had a kind of uh, interesting look about him. Kind of like uh, the leather jacket and kind of rough around the edges look, I guess. Yeah, he was com- He was supposed to be that Italian kind of guy. He's like, hey, he carries a switchblade and a comb with him all the time, you know? And <laughs> then we have Nancy, who's her friend, who's Heather Camp, And I like her a lot. I think she does really good in this movie. I've often heard that people aren't big fans of her acting but i think that she's completely fine in this movie but i mean we gotta talk about the elephant in the room my dude glenn her boyfriend johnny depp like what <laughs> yeah yeah before he got his kind of like i don't know if this is his first movie but yeah it's, it is it's his de- very first movie yeah okay yeah definitely before anybody knew who he knew who he was and so this is kind of like his time to shine and, and make a mark for himself which apparently he did because he went on to do you know really big things from here on out yeah 21 Jump Street and Pirates of the <laughs> yeah. Caribbean. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's it's really cool. I, I really like this group of friends. It feels very believable. You know, they all grew up together in the same neighborhood. And I really like the companionship between the friends because the idea is that if Tina is suffering from these nightmares, you know, let's stay the night with her. Her mom's out of town. Let's comfort her, you know, and show her that it's all right. And so that gives us a good excuse to get all four of these characters together and uh, you can't have a sleepover without having a few pranks. And one of the first things that was pretty funny was when Johnny Depp's character, Glenn, was having to call his mom, pretend to be so- at his, like his cousin's house or something, and he played the tape of the uh, airplane field. Yeah, he was supposed to be at his cousin's house who lived up by the airport. So he had these like this tape playing in the background of like, these airplanes flying overhead. And 
I mean, it, it, it's really good writing, though, if you think about it. I mean, this is totally something that, like, a teenager would do yep. to try to, like, make it seem like they're somewhere they're not. And, and I, yeah, I, you talk about this friend group, and it, and it really reminded me of, like, some of other, Wes Craven's other movies. You know, he definitely seems to have, like, a, a template he follows almost with his friends, you know, groups that he makes in his movies. Like, just look at Scream. I mean, I feel like this movie resembles a lot of the friends in Scream almost. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I definitely saw like some, some similarities there. And then of course, it's already been revealed that they're having the same dream. Even though Glenn doesn't specifically mention Freddy Krueger, they all ra- react the same way when they hear the like claw, like the ee- screeching outside because Ron's Rod's playing that practical joke on them. But I know as a viewer, I was watching, thinking, how is this already happening? Nobody's asleep. Yeah, really, uh, kind of. It's a little bit of a fake out there, yeah. But man, Rod is is quite an asshole. It's like half the time he seems kind of cool with everybody, and then the other half, he's the jerk that you really don't want to be friends with. But you always have somebody like this in the group. But my dude, when he's like, uh, "Is your mom here? She's not here, is she?" All right, we got the mom's bed. You guys got the rest of the house. <laughs> yeah, kind of marking his territory already. <laughs> he is, and then Glenn is thinking, "Okay, cool." He goes to kiss his girlfriend Nancy. She's like, "Not now. We're here for her, you know her." And yeah. he's like, "Oh!" And the next scene, it shows him having to listen to the other people have sex, and he's just like, "Morality sucks." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a cool twist on it, or a cool uh, touch there. Yeah, it was. I love when horror movies kind of take you out of it for a second and make you forget you're watching something scary because this just sets us up to like give us false pretenses because my dude we're about to get into the big nightmare scene where tina is trapped in the alley and we get to really get some of our first good looks at freddy cougar and tell me about this man when you're watching this movie what did you think of the, the look of freddy cougar i mean it's great i mean you gotta give the uh you know, just the effects team, you know, props because, you know, from the very beginning, he's already doing crazy stuff that's kind of defies physics. And, you know, his arms are all really long and stretching out. And uh, so, I mean, it's just really, really cool that they just started right off the bat with some really cool effects. And uh, and also, like, some some of the things he's, like, jumping out from behind a tree, you know, like a small tree and stuff. And it's uh, it's almost... It almost kind of has a cartoony feel, but yeah, but still kind of sinister. I, you know, I, I like it. Yeah, and he's got real witty dialogue. Like in some of the scenes, his arms are being stretched out, and it looks really weird, but it also still kind of scary. And then he chases her, and then pops up in front of her, and she says stuff like "Oh God," and he's like, "This is God," and shows her like his claw, and then he cuts his fingers off, and like green blood or oozes squirting out of him, and he chases her down, tackles her. And this scene was especially cool because she, like, reaches up, and I guess she's, like, clawing at his face, but she peels his face off, and we see, like, a laughing skeleton in there. And uh, I had read that the makeup team, like, a lot of people responsible for those prosthetics also did, like, Michael Jackson's Thriller, and I could totally buy that. That seems awesome. Oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah, I yeah, I could totally, totally buy that, too. I mean, it's the effects are top-notch in this movie, I have to say, for, like, you know, and it's not Wes Craven's first movie, but, you know, it's like an unknown, you know, movie basically, you know, uh, just starting off. You know, they have they have some top notch effects for sure. They do. And of course, Freddie is slashing her. And so she's flopping around in bed, wakes Rod up. Rod's like, what the hell's going on? He thinks that she's just having another nightmare. And so 
she starts to levitate, swing around, hits him. He goes flying to the corner, knocks the lamp off. She gets her shirt like ripped open, like her night shirt, and then slashed across her chest. It fills with blood, and then she gets pushed into the wall, dragged up the wall, dragged across the ceiling, pretty much like a rag doll. And then she falls down the center of the, the bed, and it spatters blood everywhere. And, dude, I remember when I saw this, I thought that was one of the scariest things ever. Yeah, for sure, because, I mean, because, uh, you know, a lot of people may have never seen anything like this before in a movie. And, and just the way that it's that it's shot, it's just really cool looking, uh, really, really freaky, because it's like, you know, uh, ignoring, like, all physics and everything. Like, this shouldn't be something that should be able to happen. And this is in the real world, and weird things are happening in the real world, you know, because Rod is seeing this happen, and... And it's just like, oh, so the dream is kind of carrying over into the real world. So that makes it even scarier. What do you do, Andy? You know, you're in a room and something unexplainable like this happens. Do you do what Rod does? Do you just get the fuck out? Or do you stay and explain it wasn't me? Yeah, that that's a tough one. I mean, because he was just a, he was in a tough spot because nobody's going to believe his explanation, you know. So he, he felt like he had no choice but to just run for it. Yeah, which is unfortunate for him because I know the next day – you know, Nancy is used as bait because her dad is the lieutenant and played by John Saxon, who that he was the one I told you was the most recognizable for me because I had seen him in a lot of kind of B-rated horror and some Dario Gento and stuff uh, around this time. But, man, um, they use Nancy as bait. They are able to – because Rod – he gets her on her way to school because I remember her mom was like, hey, what are you doing today? She's like, I got to go to school so I can, you know, concentrate on other things. If I stay home, I'll just be depressed. She walks to school. Rod tries to get her and explain like, hey, I'm innocent. I didn't do it. And Nancy has great questions because she's like, okay, if you didn't do it, who did it? He's like, I don't know, someone else. She's like, how could it be someone else? The room was locked from the inside. You know what I mean? She gives up valuable points that we're asking ourselves as well. But uh, it's unfortunate for Rod because her dad had followed her, and now Rod is arrested. But, uh, yeah, man, this leads up to some pretty cool scenes because I don't know about you, but I love where this is going where Nancy falls asleep in class. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like, talking about Nancy, you know, just a minute, as the final girl, you know, she's a great final girl. Like, she tries to figure things out. She tries to, like figure out who freddie is from the beginning she's not running away from the threat she is like going after freddie she you know she kind of already figures out like how to get out of the dream you know with the, when she's having that dream in the classroom she already like she figures out like in that moment like how to wake herself up and it's it's really like you have to give the character credit because uh you know she's just she's she's a final girl with a lot of courage and a lot of ingenuity and she's very smart, you know, and so so I definitely appreciate that with her character. But, yeah, that's a great scene. Um, and I love it because this uh, is kind of a reflection or a similar scene to Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. She's in a classroom when she first sees Michael Myers. And so uh, Nancy is in a classroom when she first I don't know if this is when she first it's not because she's had nightmares before, but. You know, we get to kind of it's see. It's the first time that we se- see that she sees him. Yeah, so it's kind of a similar situation. It's it's really cool, um, and then just just with the, the the imagery, you know, of, of Tina and stuff is just really effective, really creepy, and uh, yeah, it's it's a great scene. And then she just wakes up, and of course, you get Lynn Shay there, yes. to kind of like help support the scene. So that that was great. Yeah, and for folks who are like Lynn Shay, Lynn Shay, why do I know that name? Oh. 
Insidious. You know, she's the, the, the medium in Insidious. Everybody loves her. But uh, it was really cool to see her here a lot younger, longer hair. It was kind of off-putting because obviously you've seen Nightmare on Elm Street before Insidious. But to me, my first, <clears throat> my first introduction to Lynn Shea was when she was the mom in Detroit Rock City. She was burning the kiss. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's cool. But uh, I love this scene, dude, because she falls asleep in class. She sees Tina in the body bag. The body bag is dragged away. There's blood all over the classroom floor. We get that classic scene of, you need a pass. Screw your hall pass, you know? But then she goes downstairs, and it leads to the boiler room, which we learn is a place where Freddy Krueger spends a lot of his time. And it's a place where we had seen Tina in the opening of the film. And Andy, we didn't even talk about in the very beginning where it shows Freddy Cougar where we see him making his claw. I thought that was really cool, the glove. Yeah, that that was a cool scene because, I mean, the, the glove is, like, just as much a part of him as anything else. Like, it's so iconic and, um, you know, and it's just – it's such a cool weapon, but we don't really see him – it's interesting. We don't see him use it that much in this movie. He kind of does other things. I mean, of course, in the first – scene with Tina he definitely uses it but right, uh, right. in the other scenes it's he kind of uses some other thing he, it's almost like he's trying to keep his uh, keep the fact that he's around almost a secret because with some of his later later uh, kills some and stuff, of them look he like kinda, they can be explained right exactly yeah and so um, but yeah it's uh, but yeah the glove the glove is really cool the glove is great I love what you were saying when you talked about how smart Nancy is because this, you know, we know clearly if you die in the dream, you die in real life. Well, she burned her arm on that hot pipe and she wakes up, but the burn is still there. So in this point, she realizes two things. What happens in my dream does definitely carry over, but also if I'm having a bad dream, I can wake myself up. Yeah, and that that just kind of goes to with her. You know, she's very smart and she's like figuring things out and – Yep. And every every time it's like every time she dreams, she learns something new about it, and that's it's just really cool that they well, now that they she wants wrote to the... compare this with Rod, right? She wants to uh, explain what's going on, and it's really cool because when she goes to visit Rod at the police station, he's still you know in the cell by himself. She's trying to get more out of him, and his story does not change except when he mentions that you know there were four cuts. And she goes, "What do you mean four cuts?" He goes, "Yeah, they were all done at the same time," which you know. No one's going to hold four knives and cut you, but a glove. Now that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it definitely lends credence to what he's saying. And so she she starts to believe him more now, too. Then we get the very iconic scene of Nancy falling asleep in the bathtub and that claw coming up right between her legs. That's been used so many times uh, in a gif and a meme, but just a really cool like horror poster. And uh, I had heard that this scene was used in another one of his movies, I think before this, but obviously everybody remembers this one. Yeah, for sure. It's like I'm wondering how they did that because that was a really cool effect. It's terrifying to me. I've revealed many times how I feel about water. I know I've never fallen asleep in the bathtub. Uh, I have fallen asleep in a freezer, but that's a different story for a different day. <laughs> but my dude, she's like laying in the tub. The claw comes up, and her mom is like knocking on the door, and she's like, don't fall asleep in there. A lot of kids have died falling asleep. She's like, thanks, Mom. But then Nancy gets pulled down, and she's in some sort of like tub of water, like literally like a tank. And uh, we think that she's going to drown. But luckily, she's screaming for help at the top of her lungs. And uh, that water looked hot as shit, by the way. It looked very uncomfortable. But mom like 
practically gets a key and gets in the door right as Nancy escapes the tub, a.k.a. waking up. But, uh, yeah, man, I thought it was a pretty impactful scene. And, uh, you know, later we get to see how addicted to caffeine she's become because, remember, she finds those pills in there and she's storing coffee in her room. Like, I, just think, she, I think she'd really like Monster Energy if it was around. Yeah, for sure. She needed a couple monsters. Yeah, she... Uh... Yeah, she was drinking coffee like nonstop. She like she had those coffee pots in her bedroom. <laughs> yep, yep. And like the the no dose and stuff like that. And uh, it's 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 funny because like this kind of comes up later on in the movie. We'll talk about, but yeah, just her trying to stay awake and um, yeah, because she does not want to sleep. And and it's funny like it seems like Glenn is just able to get a great night's sleep. Yeah, and he's not you know, he's, bothered he's at all. He's mentioned yeah. having these dreams, but they. They don't seem to be too severe. He's not getting attacked in his dreams. At most, he's maybe seen Freddy, but we don't get very much of it. And he loves her. He respects her, but he doesn't seem to be taking this thing too seriously, does he? No, definitely not. He's he's kind of thinking maybe she's overacting a little bit or just, you know, who knows? Yeah, he's just maybe like, like she's yeah. having nightmares of because I think Glenn mentions that that he's convinced Rod killed Tina. Like, there's no doubt in his mind. And so, at this point, she asks Glenn to come over. He sneaks through her window, very Billy Loomis style. And she's like, did you notice how many cuts this movie had where it did, like, a fade to black, like a fade out? I couldn't believe there was, like, five or six of those shots. I thought that was a pretty weird thing to do because you don't see that as much. Yeah, the editing was interesting. Yeah, it's almost like a TV thing or something. Right, right. So I don't know what they were going for, but uh, or maybe it was supposed to segue like closing your eyes, like here starts the dream. Oh uh, yeah, okay, that's true. Well, this I remember this part threw me for a loop because Nancy says that I got a plan. It's revealed to us that she's going to sleep and Glenn's supposed to watch, but we don't hear that yet. And instead, the next scene we show Nancy's walking outside and she's like, "Glenn, are you still there?" And he pops out behind a tree. He's like, "Yeah, I'm still here." And I was like, "Wait, if she's asleep." then how is this happening? I don't know. Maybe she's not asleep. They didn't reveal the plan. Well, instead, she goes to the police station. She's going to check on Rod, and she looks through the window and sees Freddy Cougar show up, and he walks through the bars, like literally walks through them, almost like he's you know not made of matter or whatever. And so she's screaming at him, but then things turn, and Freddy comes after her instead. And so I'm thinking, okay, we're going to get a showdown, but then she wakes up to her alarm clock, and then I'm like, okay, she was asleep. But wait, why was Glenn having like a conversation with her? How was he in her dream? But the more I thought about it, I was like, she obviously would dream that since she just talked about it, that Glenn's supposed to be there. And so when she wakes up and she tells Glenn, like, we need to go to the police station for real. Something's going to happen to Rod. Bro, let's talk about this scene with Rod. What happens to him? Yeah, I mean, Freddie comes and, uh, you know, makes it look like he hangs himself in his jail cell. And with everything leading up to that, it like makes sense. Like it's easy for everybody to believe that he would just, you know, do that. And it wasn't like anything more than that. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, guilt and remorse, you know, for what he yeah. did to Tina. But yeah. it also, I, I'm not, I don't want to say anything negative about this movie. I know people really love this, but I kind of hated it because like you said, I wanted to see more of Freddie's glove, but I guess there is a point to it. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't want to be known or whatever, but I don't know. I'm like uh, hanging them. Come on, man. Let's 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 see some blood. Let's let's cut 
you know, rotted into pieces <laughs> or something. But we don't get that. He hangs himself. Okay, fine. We'll live with it. But then the next scene, you know, we're at Rod's funeral. And this is a really cool scene because Nancy is there and she's being she's talking with her parents and they're trying to like relieve her of her stress and tensions and telling her it's going to be all right. And she starts describing who the killer is. Cause she's like, I know who it is. And they're like, Rod was the killer. He killed himself. She's like, no, it's this man in my dream. He wears a red and green striped sweater and a fedora and all these things. And you, it's crazy. Cause as an audience, we see that the parents know exactly who she's talking about, but they ignore it. Yeah, exactly. You know that they know more than what they're saying. Yeah. And Nancy is taken to, it's like by her mom, to a sleep clinic, which was pretty cool. It was giving me some old school exorcist vibes. But in this time, Nancy's put to sleep. And I love that the doctor's telling her, okay, he, where he's like describing it. Like, okay, she's now falling asleep. Okay, now she's entering REM sleep. Okay, now she's going to dream. Okay, these numbers look good. They, they'll be between five and seven. But if you look at the computer, they go up to as high as like 12. And he's like, this never happens. And she's having a nightmare, obviously, with Freddy Cougar. It gets so severe. Then they go wake her up, and my dude, she pulled Freddy's hat out of her dream. Yeah, that was, that was a cool thing because she's, like, figuring out, like, ways to uh, overcome Freddy. You know, she, 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 she thought about – she had enough, uh, you know, intelligence to say, hey, I'm going to grab his hat before I wake up. And she grabbed it and pulled it out of the dream. So that – gave her idea for her the idea for the finale what right. we're going to see later on which is really cool uh but yeah it just goes to show that she's like she's really smart and she just thinks these things through and i really like that yeah but her mom doesn't make it too easy for her, my dude because once we're back at the house we realize that her mom has gone on like security alert she's barred up all the windows she's installed new locks on the doors she's drinking 500 bottles of alcohol but I like this confrontation between Nancy and her mom because Nancy's like, where's the hat? She's like, I threw it away. Nancy pulls it out of her drawer, and then she's like, do you not understand that I pulled this out of my dream? And the mom's trying to brush it off, and she's like, I know who's doing this. She looks in there, and then Fred Krueger is stitched in the hat. So, you know, just hearing that you can see like when she says the name, it almost repulses the mom. And we finally get to the point where the mom tells all, and... I absolutely love this scene because we get a lot of backstory and it's okay that it's not showing because it's very effective coming from the lady who participated in the murder. Yeah, we, we finally get all the answers. We've been kind of like, you know, all the questions that we've had up to this point are finally being answered. Uh, you know, we kind of hear the backstory of Freddie and, and kind of what his deal was. And, you know, we find out, you know, the parents murdered him basically it did like vigilante, vigilante justice, you know. So, and how dark um, of a backstory, right? Like we're talking about Fred Krueger yeah. was a child murderer in real life, and so he killed a lot of the kids on Elm Street, and so you know they turned him into the police. He got caught, but the search warrant wasn't signed in the right place, so he got let go, and so they took it upon themselves to burn him alive. And uh, I love it. I, I really love the lore of Freddy Cougar. Uh, I know that sounds kind of weird. You know, the pedophilia and all that is definitely a, a no good thing, but in a movie, whatever. But my dude, just knowing everything that we know, and it's like, oh, now, and Nancy puts two and two together. She's like, great, you torched this fucker, and now he's coming after me and my friends in our dreams. And even though that's like the silliest shit in the world, we know she's right, and it's really scary because it's kind of like Michael Myers. 
it's scary because you don't know who he is. So it could be anybody. You know, it could come in your house or my house. You know, there's no reason. But in this one, we know exactly who it is, but it's still just as scary because there's no limits when it comes to Freddy Krueger. And he... He was. It's funny to say he was wrongfully done because motherfucker, you get what you deserve. But at the same time, he he's got a mark for all the kids on Elm Street, and he's gonna get them all. And my dude, we're leading up to the scene where he gets Glenn. Yeah, I mean, just the revelation by her mom kind of really makes it real for Nancy. I mean, she already knew it was real, but this like puts a name to the face. She knows that oh, he is after me specifically. Not this isn't just like some random nightmare thing but yeah glenn yeah leading up to glenn's thing because before this glenn was supposed to like come over at midnight and she had this plan all worked out she was gonna go to sleep which i don't know how she was supposed to go to sleep because she had been drinking coffee nonstop, taking no dose or whatever and i don't know how she was planning on going to sleep but she's gonna go to sleep i guess because the struggle and, was real my dude yeah yeah and then she was gonna grab freddie and then wake up and then glenn was supposed to punch him out or something i guess that's what <laughs> that's that's what her play, whole plan was yeah she's like you're a jock you got a baseball bat you'll think of yeah. something but glenn's parents ain't having it my dude because we see a scene where they're outside and they're looking up at the barred windows and the dad's just like she's crazy i don't want her hanging around our son and the mom's she's pretty sweet she's like oh you know after everything that's happened she's probably you know her mom is alone so they want the extra security and he's like nah fuck that she's crazy and so she calls over there to tell glenn about the plan to warn him of everything and we get the famous line you know whatever you do don't fall asleep and Again, we've already mentioned Glenn is not taking this serious. And my dude, you couldn't be more comfortable laying on the bed watching TV, listening to music. Yeah, he had he just had the the best setup there. You know, he had the was it the it wasn't a water bed, was it? He didn't have the water bed. It was a regular bed, no. but he had everything that you would want: the TV, the <laughs> stereo, you know, the headphones, the posters. Like my dude was living good. It was clear to us he was an only child, but uh, unfortunately, he does fall asleep and. Am I right to assume that his bed eats him? Yeah, well, you see uh, Freddy's hands kind of come up out of the bed and grab him and then pull oh, him down. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, but, I mean, it's basically, I mean, yeah, he gets sucked into the bed and then just, like, geyser of blood just shoots out. Oh, and, and it's so it's, cool because, you know, when making that, I know Neil had told us on the other episode, like, he got one chance to do this right because we're about to cover this room in blood. and We get one take, and, my God, it worked, my dude, because this scene is incredible. Yeah, I mean, this, the, yeah, the effects, the way they did it, was it's just something that you've and – and it's all practical, you know. It's not like they had computer graphics to do. This is something that they actually – did you know in front of the camera which is really cool yeah and as we mentioned you know her dad is a lieutenant and so he comes over and i remember when watching this it was kind of like proven to me because her parents never really seemed like husband and wife and so i guess we're led to believe they're divorced or whatever i'm thinking that maybe since they all became murderers and killed Fred Krueger. The mom became an alcoholic. Maybe the alcohol drove them apart. Maybe the guilt drove them apart. But the dad shows up from wherever he came. You know, he could come from the station, but it doesn't look like he lives there at the house where Nancy's at. And so Nancy's, like, yelling through the barred windows, like, Dad, you know, Freddie did it. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure, Fred Krueger, cool, yeah, my daughter's crazy. It's okay, do your thing. And she's like, if you love me, you know, listen to me. Just come over here and wake me up in 20 minutes. You know, I'll have Fred here and you can arrest him. She's saying all these things. And 
you know, as a parent myself, I'm like, you do what you have to do to take care of your daughter. And John Saxton, like, he plays it perfectly, but he is a dad who does not confide in and believe his daughter whatsoever. He tells Deputy, oh, if you see anything weird, let me know. And I love the scene where they go inside Glenn's house because I don't know if you caught this, but when the two, like, paramedics pull a stretcher out, he goes, you're not going to need that. Just you're going to need a mop. Yeah, that's this kind of goes to show like what the, what kind of scene they were getting ready to walk into. Yeah, but uh, you know she gives herself twenty minutes because my dude she goes all oh, home alone before it was cool. She brought back some last house on the left booby traps, and I gotta say I was intrigued. Yeah, I definitely yeah was th- made me think of Home Alone. I, I like that she set up all the booby traps, and then she was tucking her mom into bed. <laughs> oh, it's dude. like I hope her mom doesn't. It's like I hope I hope her mom doesn't get up to go to the bathroom or something. <laughs> It's She's crazy her mom didn't just fall asleep and get killed by Freddy throughout all this. you think he'd want to kill them, too. Yeah, you'd think, yeah. But, uh, my dude, the mom, I mean, before she's put away, there's like an alcohol bottle right there by the nightstand. But throughout the course of this movie, it's so funny because we've seen her pull that alcohol bottle, like, out of the folded towels in the cupboard by the bathroom. Like, she has a bottle stashed everywhere. Yeah, it's definitely uh, she tell she has a problem there. Yeah, well, it's not a problem because she's got plenty. <laughs> but, dude, here we go. It's the final showdown, and Nancy goes to sleep somehow, like you said. And she proves to us that she is this brilliant person. She has – if there was a checklist on how to beat Freddy, like she checks every box. You know, She figures out how to wake herself up. She figures out how to bring him into the real world. She figures out how to defend herself, and she's brave enough to do it. And there's a scene earlier in the movie that I really love where it shows us that she's reading books uh, on you know booby traps, but also Glenn's talking to her before he died about like dream theories, and sometimes you just got to take the energy away from the evil that you give it to. And this all comes to play because she does – capture freddy she brings him into the real world and he falls for every single one of her booby traps and i don't know how she was able to lift that sledgehammer up above the door and tie it up but she does it it smacks freddy and uh, we get a lot of great jump scares in this scene i love the scene with the light bulb where she like breaks it and fills it with gunpowder so whenever he hits the tripwire the lamp just explodes i'm totally trying that later but uh my dude it seems like she gets the best of him because there's even a scene where she lowers him into the basement and sets him on fire, and we get a really great practical scene where Freddy Cougar is running around on fire. Yeah, no, this whole sequence is great. I mean, you got a good chase scene, you got all the booby traps going off, and you know, you kind of wonder is this stuff actually going to hurt Freddy because he is like, uh, you know, he's a dream or whatever, you know, he's supernatural, but it seems like it does have an effect on him, and uh, and she she kind of thinks he's down for the count. Yeah, I mean, we're led to believe that he's mortal at this point, right? Like, these things look like they hurt. He's making sounds like, you know, when someone gets hit, that's the sound you would make. He's on fire for, like, a minute. It's insane. And so she tells them, like, hey, you know, uh, I caught him. Come over. And finally everybody comes over. And then it's revealed that the basement door is open and there's fiery footsteps not only coming out of the basement but going upstairs. And, my dude, this is the scene where her dad sees Freddy for the first time. Yeah, and, uh, you know, kind of mom exits stage left. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, <laughs> but it's it's finally, like, proof to her dad, like, this is something that's actually happening. There's something weird going on. It's Freddy Krueger. And so, uh, yeah, so this is, it makes it real for her dad and, so you think, okay, the the police are here, 
everything is okay, you know, but uh, it's not so, is it? <laughs> it's not, and I was getting some serious, like, poltergeist vibes. This whole sequence was very Steven Spielberg-ish. I really loved it. It's probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie because it's very what-the-fuck, much like everything that Freddy does. But, yeah, the dad... You know, Freddy Krueger's on fire. He's on top of the mom. He's on fire. Like you said, she's out of the picture. She falls into the bed. The bed seals. The dad puts the blanket over Freddy Krueger, pats him out, removes the blanket. He's gone. And he, (laughs) as the movie would have it, he leaves her alone. But she wants to be alone because she knows that Freddy's not gone. And, dude, this is the coolest, like, imagery in the movie is when the mom sinks down as a burnt, you know, skeleton but then Freddy rises out of that bed, uh, and the sheet kind of forms on Freddy, which we didn't even talk about that scene earlier, which was really amazing, and they totally fucked it up in the remake. But this scene's cool because Freddy uses that blade, and he slices the sheet, pulls the sheet open, and he's going to attack her. And my dude, she turns his back on him. Yeah, she she takes away his power, the power from him. She doesn't give him any any energy. She takes back all the energy that she gave him. And it really lends the question was is this still a dream or is this in the real world? You know (laughs) that, you know, earlier you talked about like dream logic and I feel like this movie does suffer from a few things because it doesn't really cross the T and dot the I's for a few different things, because this is one of those movies I think a lot of people can theorize about and have a lot of fun with conversations, but how much of this has really happened? How much hasn't? Because the next scene, whenever she basically turns her back on Freddie and that, kills him she walks through the door and voila it's like next day apparently she slept all night her mom's alive she's outside it's bright it's beautiful her friends pull up in a car they're all alive and she's gonna go to school and everything's la-di-da but hey man something ain't right about this car oh yeah we get the the convertible top goes up and it's red and green striped (laughs) when's the last time you saw a convertible uh it's been a while yeah (laughs) And he's like, I drive one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Well, yeah, it's led. I mean, is it still a dream? Was it a dream? What's going on here? Are they dead? Are they not? I don't really know. But this was something that obviously the studio wanted to do to leave it open for a potential sequel that, well, thank goodness they did because they made several more. But as a standalone film, this is such an interesting take on the movie because their friends are trapped in the car they drive away, and the mom is pulled through the tiny little window on the door. And you can say what you want about the practical effects. There was only one or two ways to make this happen. One, CGI. No, thank you. Two, what they did. I'll take this all day. It looks really good. And I love the scene of the car. Like, the shot shows the car going down the road, and then we see the little girls jump roping, and we get the famous one, two, Freddy's coming for you type stuff. And it's a really cool in sequence, and it's a real interesting way to end this movie. Yeah, if you if you hear, pay attention to what Nancy Nancy says when she turns her back on Freddy, she says, "She's like, I know your secret now, that this is all a dream." And so it makes you wonder, okay, is is she saying that the movie's a dream, like the whole movie, like oh. from start to finish? Is this like, is, is this movie like somebody else's dream? <laughs> How and mad like, would you have been if this next scene she like wakes up at the dream clinic or in the beginning of the movie, you know, where the whole movie is a dream? Would you have been mad or would you have been okay with it because it answers questions? Yeah, it definitely would have answered some questions. As as it is, we were kind of left wondering, you know, what what happened. But we're not going to complain because uh, we got some really cool visual effects. We got some great death scenes, and we had a lot of fun in this movie. That it's only an hour and a half, and it just sets the stage for 
the franchise that is Nightmare on Elm Street. But my dude, I mean, I love this movie. You love this movie. Most horror fans love this movie. I, it's not my favorite in the franchise because I like some some other ones that are more heavily story driven. Not to say this one doesn't have a great story, but I like where it goes and some of the other ones. But uh, as far as the franchise, where does this one fall for you? Um, it's definitely up there for me. Like as far as the franchise, it's probably the one that I can watch. This is the one that I watch over, you know, repeatedly. Probably this one and part, probably the first three, one, two, and three. I watch. I could watch those three on a regular basis. I find that interesting. No spoilers, but because three and four are so tight knit together, and then four and five are so tight knit, you you cut it off right at three, just like Halloween one through three. You know, you're like, nope, these are <laughs> these are my definitive ones. But that's cool, man. Well. Hey, I'm sure people know you by now, but if they're listening to this podcast because they like Nightmare on Elm Street, they wanted to hear a couple of guys talk about it, who are you and what do you do, man? Yeah, thank, thanks for having me on this episode. It's a lot, been a lot of fun. And so I do a podcast that's called The World of Horror, and uh, I basically look at some lesser-known horror movies, uh, some B-movies that you may never have heard of. I kind of uh, try to spotlight on some, some of these lesser-known movies and do kind of a deep dive on the production and trivia on each movie and uh, give you my thoughts on it yeah and a lot of times you'll get a a 20 minute episode and a lot of times lately they've been once a week i've been loving it what's really cool is one of your most recent episodes you did was kathy's curse and this is a movie that i've been wanting to see for a while so for me it was really cool because i wanted to hear your input on it to basically escort me into or out of watching it and i'm happy to say after your review you kind of set me up where i know what to expect and i'm gonna watch it because i almost bought the severin dvd for this a couple of months ago when i was building a lot of my jalo movies this was one that popped up and it's not a jalo film but it definitely falls in that vein of a classic horror movie and uh, i like what you said about it because you mentioned of how it kind of takes its liberties with exorcist and omen and stuff and those are two great movies so i'm already in but uh that's a good review i had a lot of fun and um yeah i think people should check it out so all i will say is i had fun doing nightmare on elm street i got some more surprises in store but we'll get to that when we get to it thanks for taking the time to talk nightmare on elm street There you have it, Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984. What you guys think? Man, I don't know why I ask you. You love this movie? I love this movie. Andy loves this movie. That dude down the street, Jack? Yeah, you. Turn around. See that boy, Kevin? Yeah, look at that dog right there. Jason? Is that a plug for Nightmare on Elm Street 3? Maybe. But that dog loves this movie. Everybody loves Freddy Cougar because he's like Santa Claus. That's right. Either you believe in him. Or you don't. But either way, reality sucks. (laughs) But uh, no, man, hopefully you guys had fun listening to this episode. I know I had fun doing it. And what started off to be kind of like Dave's talking about all these behind the scenes and facts. Oh, then he plays a trailer. Then it just became the show of like, man, Dave is walking us through this movie. We got Andy over here who's playing the side. I'm like the play-by-play guy. And Andy adds his two cents and keeps it entertaining throughout. But my dude... I gotta say, I dig me some Freddy Cougar. So I hope you guys 
do two, and uh, who knows, you know, maybe I'll cover another Nightmare on Elm Street. Maybe it'll be a while. Maybe I'll run through the whole fucking franchise. I don't really know, but I do want to say, I, I check the stuff, um, not all the time, but it, it's really cool when I look at like iTunes or Spotify or something, and I see the ratings. It means a lot to me that I have a listening base and that people really do enjoy the show. It's really cool because I'm just your average dude who works a 9-to-5, comes home, and uh, talks to his buddies, you know, and loves horror movies and loves all kinds of things. And with that being said, I know I've been doing, like, a lot of horror. And so first, before I get too far, because you can see how fucking scatterbrained I am, I've had two monsters today. Count them, two. I got one right here, one right here. I got a whole fucking fridge of them. But that's what keeps me going, that and my love for all this media stuff. And so... What uh, I'm getting at is, one, thank you for all the reviews. Love the five stars. Love the written reviews. I love podcasts, so I leave reviews. I know a lot of people do that uh, maybe so seldomly or maybe once in a blue moon, but everybody who's done it from the bottom of my heart, thank you. And I do want to change it up a little bit. I want to keep giving you guys all these great horror uh, episodes, but I also want to mix it up and give you some Star Trek and Hell, I might even do Star Wars. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, maybe. You never know. But more sci-fi. I want to do a lot more pop culture stuff. So that leads me to like maybe even want to change my intro. Oh my god, Dave. Don't do that again. Well, if anybody knows me, they know I do what I fucking want. If I want to change my intro and make it a little more Dave's pop culture podcasty, you bet your ass I'm going to do it. For anybody that doesn't know what that is, stay tuned. If you see a new intro, don't worry. It's still me. But what I'm saying is... The whole point of All Things Dave is you're going to get all things that I love. So, yes, Andy and I are going to plug away with horror movies. I might bring Ed the Undead back on here to do some, like, martial arts movies. You never fucking know. I'll get Julie on here. We'll do some Star Trek. I'll probably do Star Wars by myself unless Evan wants to join me. I don't really know. I know my son likes Star Wars, but he ain't going to come the fuck on here. He can give two shits. But, guys... I love podcasting. I love entertaining you. Thank you for the reviews. Thank you for tuning in. Stay tuned. Got another episode planned for next week. It's going to be a banger, just like all these other ones have been, hopefully. But I'll let that be that. You guys have a wonderful day. And thank you for listening to the All Things Dave podcast. Mm -hmm.